Hello, Brad here. Just to say we're super proud that the Friday 5pm podcast is sponsored by the Malt Miller, the UK's best home brew store. We use the Malt Miller for all of our homebrew experiments, as well as tapping them up for advice and binging on their awesome YouTube channel all the time. That's why whenever we release a homebrew video, we put a recipe kit live on the Malt Miller, so you can brew with the exact same amazing ingredients that we did. The same ingredients used by pro brewers. So alongside the Malt Miller's nitro-flushed hops, cold-stored yeast and milled-to-order malts, you can pick up recipe kits for our Five Points Best Bitter, Russian River West Coast IPA, and now the fastest beer in the world, a hazy session IPA that goes from grain to glass in less than 48 hours. Sign up to their newsletter at tinyurl.com forward slash maltmiller to get 5% off your first order. With the Malt Miller's amazing customer service and Johnny's 48-hour recipe, you could order the ingredients on a Monday and be drinking the beer by the weekend. Speaking of which, it's Friday. It's 5pm. So enjoy this week's Friday 5pm podcast. Bonjour! <laughs> oh, that's good. I had to do it in the most harsh Northern Irish accent I possibly could. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, welcome to The Bubble. Uh, this week we're we're talking to one of my friends for a change. Um, we definitely don't know everybody that's been on this podcast of late because we haven't met anybody new. Um, and this week we're talking to Alex, French guy cooking, as he's known. He has one of the biggest food-based channels or food and narrative-based channels on YouTube and is my, like, hands down, hand on heart, most favourite YouTuber in the world. Yeah, he's. Uh, I actually wasn't that familiar with him. Um uh, you'll hear in the podcast how I'm not really that into YouTube as a sort of medium of watching things. But when Johnny said to, that we were going to chat to him, I obviously checked him out. And he's amazing. It's like, it's so interesting. He does a lot of stuff that isn't about cooking. He's really creative. He's very good at building stuff. Uh, and he's also been to Northern Ireland. So, I mean, he, he gets all the props from me. <laughs> <laughs> he's, he's been to craft breweries that you haven't been to, Rob. Yeah, I know. How does that feel? Bon- yeah, it's bonkers. Um, but it was really good fun talking to him. Um, I mean, for as long as I've known you, Johnny, I've sort of scratched my head and been like, how do you make any money on YouTube? I mean, <laughs> it's just free I mean, For as long as I've known you, I've been scratching my head <laughs> and asking that question as well. Um, yeah. But yeah, in, in, in the last sort of year, we've just started to turn a profit, a proper profit at the Craft Beer channel. Um, Alex actually founded his channel at roughly the same time as us, maybe about a year before us. But he's grown to 1.7 million subscribers, whereas we hit 100,000 subscribers over Christmas. So he is playing what he calls the YouTube game significantly better than us. Um, Don't put yourself down, Johnny. <laughs> oh, thanks, Matt. More people like cooking than beer. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's definitely true. Certainly the wanky stuff that I talk about. Um, but yeah, so he, he plays that YouTube game extremely well. And we get a lot into that during this podcast, particularly how he doesn't just do cooking videos, how he builds a narrative and explores. So he, he goes like, I'm going to make mozzarella at home or I'm going to build my own dry aged beef chamber and start aging my own beef. He makes his own wine, he makes his own beer. And just like all across sort of he does like series of several episodes. So he's a super a super intelligent and creative person who's managed to create the most amazingly in depth but also authentic and honest YouTube content that I've ever seen. So um even if you're not a YouTube lover, hopefully this will show you how good YouTube at its best can be. 
Yeah, definitely. It's just so easy to get engaged in what he's doing. Um, he travels around, he speaks to people, and he managed to involve everyone, so you don't need to be in the cooking to really enjoy what he does. Um, and much like this podcast, you don't need to be in to beer to enjoy it, because, spoiler alert, we don't talk about beer once. <laughs> no, I don't, I don't think it comes up. Well, there's a little talk of malt dust at the start, and then that's that's, that's it. it. It's not that's a beer it. podcast. So this is uh, an hour-long chat with the best YouTuber in the world, TM, Alex, French guy cooking. I drove over to the Sonic Drive-In, ordered a jalapeno burger, washed it down with beer, spears, beer, spears, beer, beer, spears, beer, 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 So, uh, where where are you joining us today from, Alex? I'm joining you from Paris, guys, from France, from my uh, freshly renovated office. Did you do the renovations yourself? I did most of it. I'd say yes, but it's I, I kept it pretty minimal. It's mostly me installing a big white sofa for just you know luscious naps. I don't know if luscious is the right adjective for this. It, but it's an adjective, certainly. It's not one I, I describe sleep as. But Sassy, sassy naps, maybe, <laughs> uh, you know. Anyways. Is it your new room to use, like a, your new COVID room that you've created so you can record and do sound stuff? It's, it's, no, it's, it's mostly to, to keep like the uh, cooking and making separated from the office work. Because okay. I used to work you know, on a keyboard that would be either greasy from, from deep frying stuff or full of wood dust. So now at least all the making, all the woodworking, metalworking happens next door, the cooking as well. I can get metal shavings in my food, but at least on my keyboard, <laughs> nothing. And that's just, things have to be, you know, separated. Otherwise, just like chaos. We, uh, we have the same, now that I'm homebrewing so often, my Mac is just caked in malt dust. <laughs> Makes sense. Um, to, the, to the point where I couldn't, I couldn't work out the mystery. Suddenly, just my screen was constantly dirty. Um, oh wow! And, okay. and I worked out it was malt dust and the two or three beers I spill on it every month. Um, Ideally, makes sense. Don't but, kid uh... yourself, Johnny. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, Alex, thank you so much for joining us uh, in between your naps. Um, I guess Pleasure. the the best place to start would be. Um, I'd love to know because I still don't know this, even though we've met so many times and and had many many beers together. I don't actually know exactly what you did before. YouTube became a thing and, and how you got into YouTube. Oh, wow. Okay. So, uh, so initially I trained, uh, I, I, my education is uh, engineering, which I never really worked in. In all honesty, all transparency, I just graduated and that was it for me. I worked in photography. I worked in advertising. I enjoyed it, but it was lacking a bit of a, uh, it was lacking a bit of the passion aspect. I was really into food. I was really into traveling, you know. And then at some point, I was working. I was doing advertising for a client who was, you know, creating YouTube channels. I was just like, well, who is this lunatic? What is he doing? There's no future in all this. 
And then I started, you know, looking deeper into what he was doing. And I was just like, that would be the perfect job for me. I got an internet background. I've got a photography and video, video you know, video production uh, skill to, 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 as, as well. And then I'm just passionate about different stuff, including food. So I started two channels first, one about traveling and one about food. The one about traveling didn't pick up. It was very complicated to monetize. And the food one didn't pick up so much as well, to be honest. But it was more fun for me. So that's how I started YouTube. And and then we crossed paths when you... Did, did you enter the Jamie Oliver competition? Is that... Oh, I did. Yes, I did. So at, so, at some point, I, I'd say probably eight months in my YouTube journey, it was like, I had, <laughs> I had like, these numbers are not going to make any sense, but I had probably a hundred subscribers and, and I was very happy about it at that time. I was just thrilled about this. I remember very clearly that I, I, I made a, like a, a giveaway event for my hundred <laughs> sub- subscribers. <laughs> yeah. Cause I was just so thrilled and I thought it was, like, it was a milestone. It was, I think. And then at some point I just discovered that Jamie Oliver, who I was, uh, whom I was following, like, because uh, I, I, I'm, I'm a big fan of his work in the first place, he was organizing this big competition looking for the next, as they call it, food tube star. So YouTube culinary talent or something. And it, the thing was global. He was asking for people to submit a three minute video, which I did. And then things escalated from there, I would say. In a good way. It's um, it's amazing because the first time I discovered you was writing. So I was working on jamieoliver.com at the time and I wrote a little blurb about all the people that had got through to the final. So I, I wrote a little blurb about you on jamieoliver.com and I was like, this guy's much Do you remember what you wrote? Uh, do you, do you, no, yeah. but I'll, t- I'll tell you what, I'll try and dig it out after this podcast and we'll put it in the intro. When I you know, tell everyone about your 1.7 million subscribers and huge success and shorty awards, mm. I'll also say um, back in 2013, Johnny Garrett said, Alex from Paris uh, wants to be a YouTube star and has started making both travel and food videos with a sprinkling of humor. <laughs> I hope you're nice, Johnny. And vaguely amusing <laughs> jokes. <laughs> I hope I was not. I, I mean, I had to be nice. That's Jamie Oliver's whole stick. It's everything's great all the time, always. So you went from 100 followers submitting to Jimmy Oliver. When did it become so, 1.8 exactly. million? Exactly. So, yes, no. It's, so things went really slow for me, to be honest. I mean, I, I, I never had a big spike in terms of, of subscribers, apart from obviously doing a collaboration with Jamie Oliver. So they, I entered the competition, so Jamie's competition, so about, I'd say, six years ago, seven years ago, maybe. And then my video got, uh, published on their YouTube channel, so on Jamie Oliver's YouTube channel, so which I- initially got me 500 to 1,000 subscribers straight straight on. But then that was it. And then slowly, it, it was growing a bit faster than it did before, but then at some point, you know, I made it to the finale of the competition, and I thought it was, it was the end of it, because I didn't, I didn't win anything. I, I ended third or fourth i can't remember and i thought it was the end of it but then the jamie oliver's team called me back after after the competition has ended and they told me so we're building up a, a network 
we we, we want to have like a dozen YouTube channels from from a, from a bit everywhere. Do you want to be part of it? I was like, f you guys. I ended fourth. I'm a sore loser. I'm <laughs> never gonna join in. No, I, I was I was delighted to join in. So I definitely did. And then at some point, I made an official YouTube collaboration with Jamie. And that got me another 5,000 subscribers. So I'd say I ended the Jamie thing with 8,000. And then slowly from there, you know, bits by bits, collaboration by collaboration, I went up, 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 up. But it took me some time. Because I, I, I see guys these days on YouTube, they just skyrocket. In one year, they're done. They're, they pass me in one year. I'm just like a, an old train, a steamy train. <laughs> <laughs> Plodding it, along, I like it. But it, it's a train. I mean, it did gather some speed or at least some some momentum. Um, I, I was trying to work out when I remember sort of really looking at your channel and being like, oh God, the, like Alex is onto something here. And I, I think it was probably the dry-aged beef um, chamber. Was that one of the original sort of where you managed to mix that engineering and cooking background? Like on the money, man. Exactly, exactly that. This one, one, one of the very first time I embraced my obsessiveness, I think. I thought instead of just doing recipes, everybody's doing recipe. I'm a mad person. I, I focus too much on subject. Let's just use that in videos. And let's just make one whole series, like 12 episodes, about one detail. That's what I did with the, with the dry aged beef machine chamber, and then I this started to really work because I was really making some sort of a difference at that time. I, I'd say the moment where my channel uh, took off probably was when Jamie Oliver's J, Jamie Oliver closed the network when he, he ended the network because at that time many of the channels were produced. They had editors, they had camera operators. I had no one. I was used to being on my own, finding sponsorship for my channel because I, I I was fine with it. I was just like, okay, I decided to be living in France. I have to move to London. I have to make a living out of this. So I was just fucking ready when everything collapsed. Nobody was ready. None of these guys <laughs> were ready. And they they were all, you know, living like a... I'd say like a fluffy life, like a, like a, um, which was cool. But then I think at that time, my, my channel had some momentum. I was into sponsorship. I was into collaborations. I knew what the YouTube game was somehow. So I think at, at that time it, it took up, in, in all fairness, I think Jenna from, uh, from uh, you, you know, she, she, she's got a YouTube channel, Cupcake Gemma, yeah. Cupcake Gemma, Gemma Wilson. I think she, she was, and she probably is to this day, much in much higher than my than where my channel stands. Really? Possibly. I haven't checked her in years. <laughs> I think. I, but I'm thinking she had a million subs at some point. Yeah. Already. Yeah. I mean, it was interesting. Like when FoodTube launched, it was. I think it was Jamie trying to create almost a a, a TV channel out of it. So it was big budget. Yes. They had some money from Google. Everything was two or three cameras heavily produced and actually what we all learned slowly was that that's great but you'll never make profit off of that the sponsorships will be way too high for what the brands get back the time it takes the investment involved is just 
just too much. But that said, something that's so amazing about your channel is the level of production that you've managed to create just on your own, which is partly through the technology that's now available to us. But, mm. um, I mean, so you work with an editor now, but when when did an editor come along? And ha- like, because everything you were doing was all on you. Pretty late. He came in in the five or six year. On on year six, year year five or year six, yeah. So for five years, it's been only me. It's it still is just me filming most of the time, unless I'm traveling somewhere else. Because otherwise, with translations and and interviews and things, it's really helpful to have uh, another camera operator, especially to have a different um, angle. That person would be doing details and and general shots, where I would just be following the story. Yeah, but uh, but overall, it's just been me. For years, it has been soul-crushing. I'm going to be very honest. <laughs> I would never go back to these days. I don't wish this to anybody. I, I just, I was working 20, 24-7. And just like, I, I remember clearly, I, my thing is to post on Saturdays, for whatever reason. I would end editing every week, Saturday morning at 5 a.m. And I would just be like, Weeks after weeks after weeks, and my wife, she would just be like <laughs> turning into this, you know. I mean, I mean, legitimately, but she, she, yeah, she, she would just be really annoyed with me. When do things start up again? Then, so you publish on a Saturday, and then you start recording Sunday for the week. Is that is that what the turnaround was? Just like seven days a week. More or less. When I say 24-7, maybe I was a bit too liberal. I would say uh, 24-6 then. Yeah. Because <laughs> I, I would start again on Monday usually. But, uh, I mean, it, it, it wouldn't be, like, completely surprising to for me to just go and work on Sunday. I'm glad I'm not I'm not doing this no more. I'm working, as, 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 as I mentioned, like, earlier, I'm working with an editor. I'm working with a producer as well. So it's just been lifting weight off my shoulder and... We are just able to produce so much better content with these guys. And I'm so glad to have these guys on board. The editor is so much better than I was. It's just like, he's bringing something amazing. The producer, same. She's amazing. I'm so glad to have these guys. And I mean, if you told me to just get rid of these guys, I'm done. I stop YouTube. That's it for me. Ta-da. Okay. <laughs> so what... Um... But back before you got an editor and a producer, how how did that sort of week pan out? How did you you came up with your concept? How did that get to delivery? Because there was such a strong narrative to everything that you did. Were you heavily scripting or were you living in a bit of chaos? This summer, I'm going to be hosting talks at the Manchester, Bristol and London Craft Beer Festivals, giving festival goers the chance to attend tutored tastings, rare beer pours, meet the brewers and even guided tours of the bars. These three festivals are the highlights of my events calendar, featuring some of the world's best breweries with delicious restaurant pop-ups, great music and a really welcoming party atmosphere. It's the third year I've been hosting the We Are Beer Tastings table, but for the first time I'm delighted to offer all of our listeners, viewers and Patreons £5 off a ticket when you use the code CBC5. Just hit the link in the description to buy. See you there. But 
always embrace the chaos some some sort of uh i remember back in the day so i'd say f five years ago i could be shooting four videos on in a day basically friday would be my shooting day and i would be shooting four videos <laughs> few years after with the dried beef madness and the croissant this and the pizza that so be going into geeky obsessive nerdy series it would take me two weeks to shoot one video which is stupid because i was uploading on a weekly basis so it doesn't work <laughs> but i just i just I, I would write first of all i would have to to be noting like all the inspiration i could think of i would be watching heavily uh, anything i would always be on the hunt for new ideas and then i would dedicate at least a day to write a day to test and two days to shoot and one day to edit that's how i and and then all the rest went into trash basically because I, I i couldn't do anything else but these and and the the the, the sad thing uh, it's not a sad thing but it's a bit it's a bit of a waste somehow because these days i'm monetizing way better than i did these days if i'm putting a video up well we have a sponsor for that video everything is set up properly the ads are in place um i mean all the stars are aligned in the past i would just i don't have a sponsor whatever let's just put the video out well hmm. No wonder it was a bit complicated to make a living out of it at that time. But these days, so the producer that I'm working with, that's her job. She's in charge of having sponsors on every video, you know, properly set up with a schedule. A schedule. How can, how, can you believe how amazing a schedule is? I used to have none. I was just living by the week. So you were very much just uh, shooting from the hip, so to speak, and um, making it up as you went along. <laughs> So again, because I'm not familiar with the, with that uh, idiom, shipping from the from the from the waste. <laughs> Johnny, the... do you want to take this one? I don't know if my uh, Northern Irish uh, accent translates. <laughs> so shooting from the hip is is yes. like a, a gunslinger term, where instead of getting your gun oh. out your holster and aiming it, yes, you just get it out. Yeah, you get no time. There we yeah. go. <laughs> okay, you maximize you the efficiency. I've got your back, Rob. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's what I was doing. Now, the, now these days it's a, it's, it's a bit more quiet. quiet uh, it's not a lot quieter, but still, I got my weekends now, so that's better. <laughs> um, that's better. You you mentioned earlier you used the phrase, and I wrote it down because because I'm not always shooting from the hip. Uh, <laughs> you used the term YouTube game. You you knew the yeah. YouTube game. So, what would you describe as the YouTube game? People come from, so Jamie Oliver comes from traditional TV. That 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 is where the initial. Pro mm, I love the guy, so it, I, I would feel bad about bitching. So let le let me just be very factual. I think he used to be working with at least two three camera operators, a script, two one two sound guy, maybe a director on stage. How can you afford these guys when you're making YouTube video, especially at that time where monetization was less mature than, than what it is right now? So I was, but randomly, to be honest, just as, 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 a, as a consequence of nothing, I was just doing things on my own. And so I was being very agile and very uh, um, lean, very lean when it comes to splurging on, on 
splurging money basically so I, I was i was being very inexpensive in my production workflow and that was very in pace with the with with the uh, the youtube game where if you want to build a youtube channel first of all usually what happens it's centered ar- around one personality not 20 it's easier to make it happen this way second it's easier if you're just doing this on your own because it's going to be very hard to afford an editor and a and a this and a that and a sound guy. So I was just like, I was just embracing the YouTube game maybe a bit more than him, but I don't know. He's, he, that, uh, and also I, w- I was watching loads of YouTube. That's probably the big difference as well. I was just like into YouTube. YouTube was just like something for me that was fascinating. At some, I, I um, it's been a while since since I had a TV at my place. I would say I haven't had a TV at my place in 10 years, probably more than that. But I have, I, I, I would definitely watch you. I, I, I used to watch YouTube way more than I watch TV. Still is the case today. I, I probably still consume more YouTube than Netflix or Disney or a, any other streaming platform. Uh, and, and what was it about YouTube that you loved and who were you watching? Is it the, the short format lean production? Oh, the, no, the, the unfiltered content. YouTube was about... Uh, it's about having an insight in people's life. It's about, like, you see someone with his camera doing something and you're just with the person. That 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 is uh, a level of intimacy that TV has never been able to produce. Also, TV is all about po- Polish characters. There is the tall guy that looks a bit like a punk. There is little girl that is, you know, very skilled at making pastry. It's just like so cliche to use a French word. Pardon my French. <laughs> <laughs> so I, on on YouTube, on YouTube, it's all about the niche. There is this one guy that is an engineer. He's doing metal working. How could that be of any interest? Well, <laughs> it's fascinating. The guy is like 50 years old. He's a very experienced metal worker. He does video in a very comic way. He's, he's like a comedian almost. This is something you would never, ever see on TV. That's way too niche. There is no audience for that. Well, on YouTube, since it's global, and since you are able to nab a little audience from everywhere, overall, it makes for a sustainable audience. So these guys have a reason to exist they have a, a meaning they they they, they 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 are sustainable businesses these guys and it's amazing for us viewers because you get to see things you would never think you would see i've been watching videos about guys restoring artwork paintings and fascinating videos like 20 minute long video of a guy with a brush you know renovating an old painting and i'm just like amazed by it there seems to be a real authenticity particularly with what you're doing alex that you want to go when you want to learn and you're fascinated by it which when you're watching tv you sort of know that the presenter has just been sent somewhere to do a job but i was i was just watching the video when uh you went to new york to learn how to sharpen knives and you were so excited man (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I was I, I would go back if I could to be honest the guy was so skilled Vincent 
from Corin Knives. I remember this guy. He's just like a godfather when it comes to sharpening. And for a valid reason, he's sharpening every day, all day. And he's just like making wonders. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a forever learner. I, I, I just love to learn. So YouTube is a good place for that because I can make any of my recently acquired passion, I, I can turn it into a video, which is good because then I can finance it with my company. <laughs> so it's, you know, I can live on the expenses. It, it's really interesting um, sort of on what you were saying about how, you know, TV had a specific uh, idea in mind, which was to inform the viewer, right? It was to go, we know something and we're going to tell you about it. And that's where like, there's this cliche in English TV, which is like, here's something I made earlier. So they'll show you how to make something. And then rather than actually watching that thing come together, they'll go, here's one I made earlier that's absolutely perfect. And as a kid, I didn't really mm -hmm. pick up on it. But now I'm older, you're like, mm -hmm. that thing you were just making was never going to look any fucking thing like the thing you just brought in that somebody else has made. Whereas on YouTube, you don't go, here's something I made earlier. You go, here's me learning how to make it from start to finish. And, mm -hmm. and I think that was another mistake mm -hmm. that people made who tried to treat it like real TV. They'd have, here's this perfect recipe come up with by... Um, specific like food stylists and food technicians and here's how to do it at home whereas actually the best mm -hmm. thing for youtube is like you did like with the cacao e pepe stuff it's like i've never really made a good one of these so here's me learning how to actually do it properly and, and people can yeah people can identify with this and and i i mean so i started shifting from recipes to series and, and then from series to more intimate series. Like, at some point, I remember clearly, once I was into this series mood, I, I, I failed at something in the studio. I started uh, uh, um, a new series called the Mozzarella series, the Mozzarella Cheese series. And it was so hard. I thought I could do something about right for the first episode that needed some improvement, and that would be the reason for the series to exist, but it was just like dreadful. My first attempt was horrifying. And then I thought, there's no way I could be posting that. And then I, I just realized, well, I, I got nothing else to post. So let's just make it interesting for the viewers. And let's just post that enormous failure. And and the title of the very first episode of the Mozart, uh, the Mozart series is, my first attempt is an enormous failure. And you see that piece of cheese that's just it looks disgusting it's all grainy it's just like ugh, it's dreadful and and the video was a success somehow because people were just like cause, cause, also because because i'm taking things from a content point of view it's just not okay so i messed up huh now okay so let's just dive deeper what happened what went wrong what are my hypotheses about this what what options do i got in front of me to solve the problem maybe in the next one so on top of that, you got a reason to watch the next episode. So I just learned that, all right, so YouTube might be YouTube. It might be that internet platform where, uh, I don't know, an, another generation expect to see cats and, and webcams and things like this. But in fact, it's just like an, just a platform to post movies, short movies, silly movies, serious movies, depending on whatever you want to produce. But a video still is a movie. It needs ups and downs, and it needs 
emotions and connection with the audience. So when, once I started realizing that, I went full on with this. And I guess the, the producer that I met, uh, she was really into this. She came from a documentary background. And she, she, she discovered, that's funny, because she discovered me through the, uh, the Dryage Beef Machine series. And she said, well, that's exactly what, what we want to see, the ups and downs and, and, the, and the falls and the winds and you being happy and sad about things happening and just diving deeper, moving to someplace, traveling. Uh, I don't know. That's fascinating. As a viewer, that's what I want to see on YouTube. So that's what I produce. You said about the, the fail the fail thing um i think that's a really interesting point like on on tv and in a lot of media you never see the fail and it's actually quite reassuring to watch it's nice to see that like you as a professional chef now make mistakes how you learn from them and also it's pretty funny uh and i really like that in the sort of medium of youtube it's like watching these people mess up seeing the sort of the outcome of that and then them working past it it's a really interesting and far more human way of like watching programming i think it makes it just makes the connection with the viewer stronger because people can relate to them so since they are failed okay so it's acceptable to see also wins then from time to time so i just came out of a big series last year so a series about sources in that series, one of the episodes was dedicated to one of my favorite sauce, mayonnaise. Which, I mean, probably I was the only one interested in knowing that it actually is a mother sauce, despite what everyone online has been claiming for years. Anyways, it's another <laughs> subject, but I made a whole episode about mayonnaise. And at some point in this episode, towards the end, there is a black background, a very dark background behind me, and there is a very dramatic lighting, and I shot everything in slow motion. It's just the moment where I realize something. I just whip it up, finally by hand. I crack the coat of mayo. And that's, that's a, such a funny moment. I mean, I was just doing it, and then I've got, you know, firm peaks of mayo. And then I don't know why exactly, but I did something that you're only supposed to do with egg whites. You know, when you've got firm egg whites, you can flip the bowl upside down. And if it's done well, it shouldn't fall off. But nobody said you could do that with mayo. <laughs> and then in the video, I'm just like super serious. And there is a dramatic music. Tan, 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 tan. And then I just do this. Never, it, it didn't even stand a chance. <laughs> Immediately, the whole bowl fell like flat on the board and i'm just like oh so surprised and that genuineness which i included like in a in a separate bit that i posted on youtube i think that's just that's just for for the best i think as a viewer i like to see this it just reminds me that this guy is a home cook all right so he's he's, he's putting loads of efforts into this but we can identify to him he's not only showing the good bits uh some extent i would say still is a show somehow but yeah the, 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 that that's what i love about youtube yeah the, the difference with tv it was um i remember when we did our collaboration making supermarket beer and the fear i had in calling you going the beer's infected that's amazing and and i was so i was so scared because i thought that you'd feel like me and brad had let you down or um 
that we'd done something wrong that was silly and you were just like no it's great <laughs> like <laughs> otherwise that's the best episode yeah. ever <laughs> but, i mean first of all that's a, that's the best episode ever for two reasons obviously there's the cliffhanger mystery suspense to it but second it's reality making beer is is complicated and making beer with these type of equipment we had you tell me but it, it wasn't that easy no it was it was almost impossible even the final one that we gave tasters of i still wasn't wasn't happy and with. yet it got picked as a winner yeah. in the end in the pub yeah in an english pub <laughs> so i don't know yeah. um so we've also talked about sort of the business side briefly of YouTube. I think there's a definite yeah. cliche. I think because, you know, media generally only picks up on on people like the, the guy whose YouTube channel is now essentially giving X amount of money to people and seeing what they do mm. with it. Um, mm -hmm. So people assume there's crazy amounts of money in YouTube. Uh, the Craft Beer channel probably picks up about six, $700 in advertising, which isn't enough even to produce the stuff that we make. So... How, 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 I mean, I don't want figures, but how much do you rely on the sponsorship side of it? And how much can a YouTuber actually make without working with brands? Is it possible at your level? Working without brand? You mean like uh, working only with YouTube advertising, for example, yeah. with the basic YouTube advertising? That would be complicated for me because I don't make enough views for that. Uh, agreed with what you just said. People think that YouTube is a milking cow, milking cow, in, in terms of in terms of money. It's not the case. Um, definitely not the case. Unless un, 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 unless you're making millions of views per videos, then I think you can make it a business. But if you're just making hundreds of thousands of views per video, and if you're not posting every day, it's going to be complicated to make it to to live out of YouTube ads only. You're going to have to diversify. You're going to have to find different incomes luckily for us there are one of one of one, one of the ones you mentioned doing sponsorships directly with brands this is something I've, I've fully embraced and something that is crucial to my business at the moment without them i wouldn't be able to 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 uh to make it happen basically problem is the moment i got some help in my business an editor a producer that got some weight off my shoulder in terms of efforts, in terms of workload. But in terms of finance, it's the opposite. It got ki it kept me grounded somehow. It just put some weight on my shoulder. So, yeah, sponsorships are mandatory. YouTube ads are good, but I'd say, depending on which vertical you are working, if you're, if you're doing music videos, that could be interesting because they got millions and millions and millions of views. I mean, not all of them, but... You could be re-watching and re-watching and re-watching a, a video. Well, for us, it's hardly the case. You're not... I mean, my fans are great, but I don't think they're going to be great to the point of watching my, the same video again and again 10 times. With videos, I think memory is too strong for us to be watching the same video over and over. So YouTube ads only wouldn't work. Sponsors are good. A, a, a good way to... to uh, something that really helped me is uh, Patreon. Patreon is a huge relief for me. It's just like the best. And also, so Patreon is a crowdfunding site. Is it a crowdfunding? A crowd, uh, crowd supporting site? Yeah, sort of a crowd subscription, isn't it? It's it's not yes. one-off payments. It's every month, yeah. 
exactly and 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 people would join in and they would decide to just support one specific or, or a few specific creators for whatever amount of money they want to spend monthly plenty of people support my channel for like one dollar a month for example and all these guys they're just amazing these guys are just uh, lifting a bit of weight off my shoulder in the sense that they're providing me with a bit of a forecast i'm able to to you know guesstimate how much i'm gonna make next month with these guys that's just very cool because with youtube you never know it's as close as you get know. to a wage as a freelance person yeah exactly it's non exactly it's a boss somehow <laughs> On average, um, how many views would your videos get? Is it around the sort of six hundred thousand mark? Ah, uh, possibly. Depend. Yeah, yeah. On average, that would be that would be around that. I think. I mean, that is to me that is really substantial. And you know, you said earlier on about how people think that YouTubers make all this money, but you said that they sort of share just advertising through YouTube. That amount of views is nowhere near enough. And that that. I sort of didn't realize that. I would have assumed that it was quite a substantial amount, but um, yeah, it's crazy. Well, well, well the, the the rule of thumb, at least in in France, where I'm not operating my business, but I'm I'm going to share the 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 French figures just to 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 to, to blur the track a bit. Uh, in France, the, the the advertising business on YouTube is you you get about a, you get about one euro per thousands of views you make. So 600,000 views is not much money. I mean, I mean, especially if you've got an editor, if you've got some, that, that's over, you're done. doesn't work out. And you're paying that's rent on a studio money. as well. Yeah, exactly. No, I mean, I mean, I've got so many expenses. That would be the, the immediate death of my channel. Luckily for me, I'm, work, I'm not working with a French audience. I'm working with an American audience where the advertising market is much higher. So that, that's good news, but still... It still is like some sort of a challenge to make it happen. But that's, that's not only bad. I don't see that as only bad. It keeps me awake somehow. It's, it's interesting you mentioned you're working with an American audience because it does feel like, although YouTube is a very cosmopolitan and diverse place, I think, in terms of the creators, most of them are, have to be aimed at an English-speaking audience. So the UK and the US, we've, it's about a year ago, the US overtook us on... Uh, on views over the mm -hmm. uk which means suddenly we're talking about beers that majority of our people have never even heard of let alone can get hold of so it's a there's the benefit <laughs> of you have this niche and you can reach everybody but as soon as you talk about a product you've got to be thinking about specific yes. places that, mu that must be challenging for sure yeah even when you do references you guys in the uk so i'm following People from everywhere, YouTubers from the UK, YouTubers from the US, and also the fact that I've been working with Jamie Oliver for, for three, four years. Uh, I'm, I'm quite sensible in a good way to uh, British culture. But I feel like sometimes pe people do references that people don't get. Like ch childhood memories I don't have. So it's funny when people say, oh, that reminds me of that, that candy. Well, never heard of that, that, that stuff. So it reminds me of nothing. But I think people also look for that. It's like looking for a glimpse to, to another culture. It's nice. It's, um, it's interesting. You know, people talk about sort of tribes and stuff in digital media, and that's definitely um, 
sort of powerful thing with with the other half of this podcast which is the friday 5 p.m so every friday we release a 20 minute of me and brad having our first beer of the weekend and okay. it's it's remarkable every single episode gets the same amount of views so it's the same 750 <laughs> people every week tuning in there's running gags and it's just remarkable how you can um <laughs> both Maybe. include people so brilliantly in that way and also exclude the other seven billion people on this planet quite quickly by doing a, a concept like that. I see, I, I, see, I, see, I see good values in excluding people as well, meaning that your content is making a dent, is, is, is just being specific to an audience. I think we had chats about this so many times, but I, I was the... Uh, uh, for, for Five, six years I've been, and even to this day, I'm I'm the commercial of my company. I'm always selling my videos to a sponsor. I'm always advocating for them, and I'm I'm rarely selling the numbers. Right, so it's, these it's days, the content you're pushing, not yeah, the, for sure. Yeah. I'm I'm selling a vision because this has no price. I can put I can put any price tag <laughs> on it. I'm selling a commitment. I'm selling on which channel do you see that? No channel, you see that. Exactly. That's my point. I mean, people are not always, it doesn't always work because you got to have numbers in front of your, uh, I don't know, if you're in front of your claims. But still, I mean, straight from the beginning, I was selling a very specific audience. I was trying very hard to sell um, sponsorship to French brand that would have a global reach because I thought, who, I mean, on which platform can you advertise better than on my channel? I've got French root, but I've got a global audience. So your audience is exactly like mine. It didn't work out so well, to be honest, but, but I tried. You go for baguettes, borsan cheese. More or less. Yeah. Baguettes. <laughs> we don't export baguettes. So they stay. <laughs> it's a yeast-based yeast bread. It, it dies in, in a day. That's sourdough, but everybody's making sourdough. we got nothing left. Okay. <laughs> Well, that that was somewhere I wanted to pivot this this chat too. We we've barely mentioned food, which is, um, yeah, I don't shame. know, what do you love more, YouTube or food? Um, maybe you can answer that at the end. But oh, food, food, food for sure. Oh, there we go. Um, where where did the passion for food come from? Was that a discovery or was that as a kid? Possibly. I I think I I, I was sensitive to food or sensible to food. Uh, two of my grandparents were chefs. Um, at home we didn't. I don't think we cooked very much. I don't think my mom, my mom loves food, but I don't think she cooked very much, but we used to travel the world very much. So we would always go to different culture. We would always be very curious about this and that. And we, and we would often start the, 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 um, the tour in that new country. We, we would be visiting uh, at the open air market. And I remember these food stalls everywhere and my mom having stars in her eyes. Oh, have you seen that? bun thing that crepe that 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 scallion pancake that lamajun that thing that da, 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 da. and so we would be you know pulled into this i would i, I think i developed uh, a love for food as i was traveling as a kid it's it, it really is like a love for other culture in the first place and then my love for cooking came much later uh, as i moved in with my girlfriend who is now my wife, uh, around 25, uh, we moved in together. We are very careful persons together. 
were very factual. And, and I said, well, all the other couples around us are failing. How do we not fail? Let's write something together. Let's write a contract. She was just like, oh, you're serious? And I was like, I'm dead serious. Let's write a contract. What, what, what house duties do you want on your side? And I'm going to tell you which one I want on my side. She said, well, I hate cooking. And I said, okay, I like food. I guess I could start cooking more seriously. And I took cooking on my side. And she took something else and I took something else. And nah, nah, nah. We split the housework in half, basically. And so I started cooking every night. I started doing groceries with cooking in mind. And I've been doing this now for, I don't know, 12 years. And I've got a boy. So now I'm cooking for three. And who knows what, what comes next out of this. So just just the fact of, of cooking every night, it triggers something inside of, my, inside of my mind. I was just like, all right. So I made crepes, pancakes, because my mom used to make it. And it's good. How could I make it better? Because it's, uh, it's not bad, but it's not great. So then I would start doing research. Wikipedia at, at first, it always has to start somewhere. But then I would get more specific and do trials and error and trials and error and trials and error. And then at some point I would, I would think at least that I would that I I would have cracked the code of that food, and then I would move on to another food. So we would have weeks of Indian food, weeks of Japanese food. She, she found it funny at first. Then she said, "Yeah, let's put a b- bit of balance in all this." <laughs> There's there's so much to love in what you just said about that. Firstly, the idea that you saw other couples failing and went right a contract is the only way for us to uh, to deal with exactly. this. Um, what other things do you have to do? <laughs> yeah, is the contract what are your still other chores other than cooking? <laughs> I, I can't disclose the whole contract. <laughs> Something could be pretty intimate. Do you but ever I would have say like that, uh, guests round and someone asks you to do something and you're like, no, that's... you're just like, nope. That's her. <laughs> no, nope, exactly. Oh, yeah, at some point, when when we thought that the two parts of that contract were respecting the rules, uh, with um, I don't know, they, they they were putting some respect in that contract. We got a bit more liberal. We thought, okay, I can help a bit with laundry whenever you need me. You can help me with cooking a bit, a bit. But to be honest, doesn't happen so much. We're still very, very camped on our positions i'm doing grocery i'm doing uh, uh um, cooking what else am i doing well, that might be it to be honest i'm also helping with cleaning but not that often i was gonna say what i'm just like what could be on that I got, list? I got the best bit i could i got the best part of the contract i feel but she hated it so i when i told her i feel a bit bad because i got cooking and grocery shopping she said well i hate it i'm just like all right your call. I'm not going to amend this contract in like in 10 years. Okay. <laughs> the next revis- re- revision date is in 10 years from now. She's just like, she's fine with it. The French guy laundry channel wouldn't have been as good. So I'm glad it, it panned out that way. Well, you, ne- you, you never know where a series could be leading. <laughs> Another thing the channel does really well, I think, is stuff that isn't cooking. Like there's so much content sort of involved maybe with cooking, but sometimes more listy than others. Um, and I think that keeps it really fresh. But how do you come up with like all these amazing ideas, like secret cupboards, for instance? <laughs> oh man, that one! I've been working two weeks just to get that stupid idea out of my head, just because it was a, a whim, something I thought about last year, and I've been working on it for a year to make it happen. 
and then I started building it this year. I, I, Do you want to explain to the, the listeners the your, um, yeah, 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 your yeah, secret yeah. cupboard? Exactly. So, I'm a big fan of a movie, Kingsman. I thought it was just such a fresh South london wind on James Bond movies. And uh, the fact that they have a tailor shop in the UK. And so so I'm guessing people must be familiar with, with the movie. But basically in that movie, in Kingsman, at some point, Exy and his mentor, they're in a tailor shop, which is in fact a fake shop in London. And he's pulling on a coat hook and the whole wall swivels and they enter a secret room, a weapon cache. And inside everything is superbly displayed on the walls, you know, line felt walls with dark woods and proper English lightings. But there are guns on the walls and gadgets and things and, and, and like a, a, a lighter, which in fact is a grenade. You've got shoes on, uh, for them to be dressed properly on the job. It's like a spy cabinet. The first time I saw that, I was just like, obviously, I want one. You know, probably as many would say. But what will then be in my in my secret cabinet, in my secret vault? Then I thought, well, obviously, there's got to be kitchen tools, chef tools. So I started reaching out to brands, which I particularly love. And I said, I've got this stupid idea in my mind. you got to be in. Everybody's in. Obviously, nobody was in at that time. <laughs> and and, and I, I got this specific knife from Japan. I got this super geeky pasta cutter from Italy. And they all, I made sure that all of them fitted with the theme of the tailor shop. So it had to be brass and dark wood and and weapon appearance somehow nothing nothing is offensive in 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 my cabinet it's just a a cabinet for chefs and home cooks but even though things nonetheless things look a bit like weapons somehow and that's the fun part so i built that inside my studio i basically um built a structure on the wall which i then covered with a fake wall i installed a, a swivel mechanism and then I placed a, a um, how do you call it? A, a coat rack in the middle of that wall. One of the coat hook activates a string which pulls on a gate latch inside the wall, and that just releases the door. And then inside, I've built a complete, you know, tailor shoppy cabinet with all the tools that I that I love so much. I don't know if I made a good description of that video. No, you, you pretty much nailed best. what that video is. That's it. Um I think I think what's missing is perhaps the context that <laughs> in the middle of a pandemic nobody can actually visit to see the wonder that this is. And also anybody that does eventually has probably seen the video. So they'll be like, oh there's the hidden cabinet. But I guess is that the joy of it? You're like, I want to show people this. Exactly. That, that's a comment I got. Comments comments can be a bit weird. Sometimes they're, they're, I don't know. People said, oh, wow, amazing. You made a secret vault, which only had been broadcasted to <laughs> a million people. <laughs> well, still a secret. I don't know. I don't know. Still a secret. I don't know. It's just weird for me. Comments, uh, you know, comments. Comments will be comments. They. It, it's part of what makes me love YouTube, but it's also... It's it's a weird thing. Like I I should probably turn it off. But I get the notifications going to my phone, and you know a nice one comes in. You're like, cool. I'll deal with that tomorrow at work. 
But when a bad one comes <laughs> in, it sits on you like a dead weight, and you're like, ah. It's, 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 YouTube is a journey. It's an introspective journey. It's about the weaknesses and, and the strength. These guys, they just poke you exactly where it hurts. In the eye. Bam! <laughs> and then I, I, I used, I used to, I, I'm still, I'm still hit when somebody does that. But so I've, I've, I've taken a bit of distance from the comments. I'm just like, whatever. Just, I don't read them so much. I, I, I'm less looking for the pat on the back. And I'm less looking for the poke in the eye as well. I guess. You, you get it. At some point, it's just inevitable, I think. Because otherwise, it's just, it's a weird game. It's a very, it's a love-hate relationship that people got. So many people, so many people are vouching for the channel. So many people are supportive and caring and they send love. And you can, you can immediately, immediately figure that out by just looking at the number of like versus dislike on a video. On my videos, I can see the love and yet one comment can drag me down. Just like, uh, exactly as you said, you're going to live with it the rest of the day. It's, you know, waiting on your fucking shoulder. Even though facts are saying the opposite. Look at the facts. The views. Whatever. That video was shit. I'm, I'm an embarrassment. Um, so th this is my final question, vaguely related to that as well, is... You know, I, I sometimes have somebody who, who probably makes about half of their living through YouTube. Um, do you ever fear about having all your eggs in one basket and you wonder what what the future of YouTube is for creators, particularly creators who put a lot behind the videos um, mm -hmm. rather than just sort of posting and posting while the going's good? What, what, where do you think YouTube's going to head? in my eyes at least, it would possibly be insane to think that having all my eggs in the same basket would be sort of a safe business model. Just like coming from a, I had a small digital marketing agency before that job. So we were like three, four people and I, and I kept it for five, seven years before that. We had several clients. It would never would never okay, i mean it would never i would never have thought to just rely on one client it's just signing your own death that's what i'm doing somehow with youtube that's basically what i'm signing every week when i'm posting a video but i don't know it, it, it's not a safe position to have all your eggs in the same basket i'm not exactly doing that and i've been realizing this a few years back already I've been starting to think about my end game. I, I always had it, had this at the back of my mind. I'm a, I'm a, I love having fun. <laughs> but you know, sometimes posting videos on the internet can bring a little anxiety. Especially when you're chatting with your parents and they're just like, oh, what's going on with your videos? Is, is, that, is that what you do now? I'm just like, well, some people seem to like it. I don't know. It's just like it's, it's make it's. I'm making a living. They're just like, all right. So <laughs> I love that you're still having that conversation. That that's reassuring because my parents are still like, I saw your video. Did it go down? Okay, you making enough money for rent? <laughs> <You're> like, 
Yeah. <laughs> I mean, they're just they're just parents. They 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 they're they're caring for their their kids. My dad is just like that's amazing what you do. I I really wonder if seen the videos in in years. I, oh yeah, I've seen the video you posted on the YouTube. <laughs> <laughs> that's what it's called, no. Dad. The YouTube. The YouTube. Are you still going to the London? Yeah. I Take find it. it hard enough understanding how you guys make money out of YouTube. So my parents, like, <laughs> don't even get me started. <laughs> It'd blow their mind. Like, yeah. so you just record yourself, <laughs> put it online sense. for free, and then you make money. Nah, don't don't get it. But you seem to be doing. A I mean, it good doesn't job, sound right when you put it that way, Rob. <laughs> exactly. Who would do that? Who would do that? But yeah, I'm, 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 I've always been trying to think about the next step, and I'm, I'm still thinking about this today. I'm, I'm, I've been trying to, I've been trying to, um, I'm, I'm trying to disclose, but not spoil. Yep. Which is a, a very fine line there. It's the balance of of your YouTube videos as well. Exactly. So, I'm, I'm, I'm a, I'm a big fan of chef tools in the first place i believe in the right tool for the right job i i love kitchen knives very much especially when they are done properly i love saucepans i love all these and i think not much work has been put into rethinking these so as a bit of my end game somehow i'm thinking about using the experience somehow that I've built as a home cook and trying to see what do uh, cooking enthusiasts really need in their kitchen? Which tool should they really use? Why is that tool so bad? How can we improve that? And that would just help me, you know, satisfy my hunger for creation overall because I love creating stuff in general. But also I would use... um, the experience that I've gained over the years in cooking like on a daily basis. And also I think my audience is always keen to see the wacky project I'm working on. You mentioned that Rob, like a moment ago, you said that I also post videos where I'm not even cooking. I'm just making something. I was terrified about this in the past. I, I still am to some extent. Some people are bitching about it. Like what is it that you do? Just post a fucking recipe. And I'm just like, oh, that's who I am. I, no, I just man, love making things. Keep it up. That's sort of what keeps it so exciting and keeps it fresh. Because so. if you're just cooking constantly, then there's probably a million people yeah. doing that online. But... Exactly. That wouldn't be me in the end. Yeah. I, I think people, we, 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 the thing we are afraid of the most when, when we make videos at first is the thing people go for in the end. I was afraid of being this French dude who has a wacky accent and then who um, he's sort of an engineer, sort of a cook, but he didn't go to culinary school. So he, he's got three points for, for, for being French, but he's no chef. He's a fraud. And then it's just like he's making what is making obsessive series about stuff it's just very weird but then at some point i started embracing that that stuff i was just like well fuck it that's who i am exactly i'm in the middle of all that if that's what you're into great you're gonna be up for a treat if not well 
it's gonna be it's gonna be a tough time watching my videos it's gonna be loads of chatting loads of french accent loads of building stupid stuff for you you'd better unsubscribe as soon as possible Hey man, we're doing a beer bo- podcast with a French guy who does a cooking podcast about building shelves, so it doesn't get much more convoluted than that. That's the best! <laughs> oh, I love that stuff. Been drinking it for years. Drinking it for years. Drinking it for years. Drinking it for years. You know, I, I moved they recently decided to add more hops to it. To it. Hops to it. So that was French guy cooking, um, joining us from Paris and explaining to me how you make how you monetize free content. Um, I feel less like my mother. <laughs> I really enjoyed that moment where you were like, "That surprises me that you you know you struggled to make money with 1.7 million subscribers." Um, it it was partly a surprise to me as well. I, I knew he had loads of overheads because he rents his own studio and office, uh, pays a producer, pays a, an editor. And that editor in particular, I think, is working almost full time on those videos. So there's huge overheads that people don't think about with YouTube. But still, the fact that, um, you know, YouTube advertising just doesn't get anywhere close to paying for that is a major issue. Like, it's not as bad as on Spotify where you get whatever it's like, point not 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 one pence per play um but it's not it's not great it's not that easy what really interested me uh he made a point at uh some stage about how it's like old media like old tv media is how you make money um because obviously tv is free apart from your tv license which goes to the bbc but like channel 4 and itv and then all the other channels they make money off very simple advertising policies really and that that's it and youtube's the exact same and i don't know i just never thought of it like that because maybe i ignore the ads more but i don't know it 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 really started to make sense when he sort of phrased it like that yeah i mean maybe people don't realize that so all the advertising revenue that you get is from those adverts that either pop up before or after or during at the bottom and you can as a viewer you can just close those you don't have to watch them and every time you do that means that that YouTuber doesn't get any money. Um, and there's even like in the policies for, for YouTube, when you, when you sign up or when they update their privacy policy, you have to agree, agree not to start telling your viewers to watch all the adverts because then that can sort of skew their algorithm or um, it's a way of, of getting paid better. But you know, yeah, if you want to support your YouTubers, a good way you can do it is to, to actually watch the uh the adverts like you're forced to on terrestrial tv it's johnny from the craft beer channel please do not <laughs> click past the following messages <laughs> please um yeah so that, that that was uh that was a really interesting chat to hear that you know we have this assumption that youtubers like he said a milking cow i think he meant a cash cow um but it's, it's really tough to make money on YouTube unless you're using commercial deals. And on the Craft Beer channel, we use them increasingly uh, and try to separate it from our unsponsored content. But it's also really tough. We don't want to be sponsored by breweries. You know, we feel that takes away our independence. And I'm sure Alex feels the same about some things. You know, he doesn't want to use a particular butter or, or a particular brand of beef or something. He'd rather use somebody 
you know, one or two steps removed from what he does so that he retains complete independence when it comes to the actual recipes um, he's producing. So it's, yeah, it's a, a tough, uh, a tough balancing act. And it's very unsubstantial, the amount of views that Alex gets, you know, he's seven or 700, 800,000 per, per video. So it's a lot of eyes on that. And he's still having to do all these things to try and make enough to pay the bills. Yeah, absolutely. So he's what did it's it's about one dollar for a thousand views. So he's getting he's getting seven hundred dollars on a video. Um, I can tell you. So our documentary that we made at Craft Beer Channel that cost us just over four thousand pounds to make, and we've so far made seventy dollars in advertising revenue. <laughs> <laughs> and that's off of yeah. about sixty thousand views. So. We should appreciate Johnny and everything he does and he puts out because he <laughs> that's is... What, uh, that's what this whole podcast has been leading to, just me trying to prove to Rob that I could be paid better. <laughs> <laughs> the, the other thing we talk about at length is, is the idea of narrative as well. Um, it was really heartening to hear him say that the thing that he loves about YouTube is authenticity. And it's something that I think I forget. Everyone talks about YouTube being fake, like these people living in these fake worlds. Whereas... Yeah, there is that, particularly within the like the hardcore like vlogging scene where people are doing their absolute best, like on Instagram, to look like they live the perfect lives. But outside of that bubble, there is the most amazing set of of vloggers and documentary makers who have no uh, creative sort of limits in what they can do and what they can't do outside of you know the YouTube um, the YouTube rules on on what's acceptable and what's not. And you get so many amazing people going down niches and, and rabbit holes so far deep and chronicling the whole thing, which you just wouldn't be able to do on TV because people wouldn't watch that across 10 episodes or you wouldn't get the viewing figures because it's not a global audience that you're, you're able to reach. So YouTube's a really powerful way of making content that would never appeal to the masses but has a mass audience because the whole world can watch. Completely. There's like... There's an authenticity, I think, with YouTube that people like you and like Alex, they do it for the passion and they do it for the the passion and the niche. Um, so you can really explore these rabbit holes, which you know, normal advertising wouldn't usually get behind. But there is an audience out there of people that want to watch it. And it seems so much more real. And we, we talked about how Alex loves to like film his mistakes. And you'd never see that on sort of real life media but I love it like that makes it feel real um it makes it it's comforting to know that he makes those mistakes yet he's still good and like it's hilarious <laughs> in uh, in real tv if you want to show a mistake it has to be done as a as a blooper reel basically you're like mistakes happen and we get rid of them whereas youtube it's like the mistakes of the content and I was really inspired when he said you know the things you're most scared of uh, the things you're most scared of putting out into the world are usually the things that work the best. And we had that recently with my dry January content where I put out a 33 minute vlog of me doing dry January thinking nobody would fucking watch it. And it, it, it's not the most watched thing we've done because it's not very clickbaity, but it's the most, um, it's got the most questions, the most interactions, the most like, Hey, that was amazing kind of comments of, of any video we've done since the documentary. So I was so nervous about putting that out and I nearly cancelled it and I chatted to Brad the night before going, I just don't think it's ready. But if we don't release it now, people are going to have lost interest in dry January because it'll be middle of Feb. 
and Brad was just like, just just put it out, man, because I think it's great. And 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 he was right. And and clearly, Alex is is of the same opinion that if you're not not living on the edge, you're taking up too much room. Exactly. And uh, you mentioned that you got a lot of comments on it. That's another thing that really interests me about the YouTube world and um, just the the internet in general. And the beer world's known for it. There's a lot of people who like to um, be very opinionated on Twitter and Instagram and all the other sort of uh, social networks. And that is fine. But people do read those comments. And sometimes it feels a bit like a victimless crime. But Alex was talking about how much it's like, <laughs> he just had to stop, uh, stop reading them because that one bad comment weighed him down so much. Yeah, it, it's amazing how true that is. You can have, you know, on some videos that we've done recently, there's one video we did that it's best brewery in the world where we just discuss, we don't decide, we discuss what the best brewery in the world is to try and get that conversation going and get people thinking about what they look for in a brewery. And we had 700 comments on that video. 699 of them were people getting involved in the fun. And then like the 700 is, is like some guy going, you're a fucking idiot. You can't fucking choose the best fucking brewery in the world. Go fuck yourself. And that's the one you remember. It's something about the human condition, like negatives just way heavier than positives. Um, and, you know, it's com the comments, to be fair, are what I love most about my YouTube channel because... Uh, and in fact, everybody else's channel as well. I love diving into the comments and seeing what people are saying. There's so many hysterically funny people in the comments. There's so many amazing ideas in the comments. And you know, I find that more engaging and more interesting than Twitter, Facebook, Instagram in terms of the interactions. Um, but whatever whatever social media you're on, when the negatives come at you, they, 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 they do hurt. Um, yeah. Yeah, they do hurt. Like I know you and I are both big fans of um Adam Buxton and uh, he does this good uh, sketches on reading out people's YouTube comments. But he always talks about how like he I think he went off social media, but he couldn't handle the negative comments. They just like bring him down so much, and it is. I think people genuinely think that I don't know like like maybe you don't read them in your channel or Alex doesn't read them or these celebrities don't read them. But like they definitely do, and you're just being insulted at the end of the day. Yeah, and it, it does feel like it's to your face, even though it's not. It's really interesting. Like it's all part of that fact that people think that you know these channels, even ours at 100,000 subs, is some big commercial concern. So they assume that it couldn't possibly be me going through the comments and replying. So we get lots of people making comments and saying like, you know, oh, I, I love the craft beer channel, or I hate the craft beer channel. And then you reply and go like, hey, Johnny here, glad you like it, or or please like me. Um, and they are absolutely <laughs> blown away, A, that they get a response, and B, that it's me responding. And you're like, I'm a dude sat in my kitchen in lockdown like everybody else. Um, and what you say really matters, and of course it's me replying. I can't, I can't pay somebody to go through the YouTube comments. Um, so, yeah, it's definitely not a victimless crime that people sort of think it is, even even at Alex's scale, which is 17 times the size of us. There are victims, and the victims are Johnny Garrett and Alex. Yep. Underpaid, undervalued, vital to society, us YouTubers, I tell you. I tell you. <laughs> um, yeah, so I hope that you've enjoyed that. I think... Um, it was an episode I wanted to do for a long time. A, because I just find Alex really inspirational to talk to. 
Um, and you might have got a sense that me and him have talked endlessly about these topics before when, when we've gone for beers. Um, but I always love to hear it from him because he's just, he's so, so good at what he does. Um, and I urge you to check out his channel. I'll put some of his best episodes below and also some of his and my favourite YouTube channels as well. So you can see YouTube at its best and not at its worst. Uh, so that's it for this week. Thanks to Alex tuning in from Paris. And if you like the episode, leave a nice comment. And if you don't, maybe just keep it to yourself. <laughs>The Bubble Podcast is brought to you by the nerds behind YouTube's Craft Beer Channel. Head to youtube.com slash the Craft Beer Channel to watch this week's video and over 400 more exciting episodes. If you love what we do, please, please, please do subscribe and even join our Patreon at patreon.com slash craft beer channel. Love and beer.